The congregation this evening, I would ask you to please turn your very prayerful attention to that second reading that I read to you there from the book of Proverbs, chapter 23. Know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. The scriptures are made and given to us to make us wise unto salvation as it is in Jesus Christ. These words will point us to the way that Christ is the way. Here we have a verse that I want us to consider this night. Verse 17, we set our attention upon verse 17 and verse 18 of Proverbs chapter 23. The Lord enabling me this evening. Here Solomon, of course, given these words by the Holy Spirit speaking primarily to his son, Rehoboam, who will be king, he says, my son, he's speaking to the son, he's giving words of advice, but of course these words are meant for God's people ultimately. Solomon had great wealth, great riches, but he knew that even after his departure, that great trouble would come. His son sadly did not hear the warnings of God's Spirit speaking through the Word. But there are warnings here to sinners tonight. The true saints of God will heed the warnings and they will be kept from the warnings. Riches. Solomon had great riches. There was no wealth as such as Solomon had in all of the earth. And yet his son would lose it. And it seems that his son wasn't truly a God-fearer in his life. And that's a terrible thing, not only to have a great heritage from a father who knew God, but to know, not know, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, not to know God, that is the greatest peril a man can have in this life, to even be taught the Word of God and to reject and to refuse the word of God, such will be the wicked. Let us hear the words of the verse 17. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Those who fear the Lord have a glorious end. Those who fear the Lord, they shall see the Lord. They shall see God. And their expectation, which is God and heaven and all that God gives, shall never be cut off. The exhortation here, not just to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, but to all the true sons and daughters of God, is to fear the Lord. And not to envy sinners in this world. And as I address the unsaved here tonight, as they may be, I want you to see it from the vantage point of a believer. And this is sometimes helpful when we consider what is the end of this world. What is the end of them that do not fear God? And what is the end of them that do fear God? Two ends. We're told by the Lord Jesus, aren't we there in Matthew 
chapter 7, that there are two roads basically in this world. There is the narrow road that leads to life. And there are few that are in that way. And then he tells us that there is a broad road that leads to destruction. And he says there are many therein, thereat, at that way. Many have gone in the broad gate that leads to a broad way that leads to destruction. But very few, very few are they that are in the narrow way. Those that are in the narrow way or in a blessed way. But they may be at times to be tempted to envy sinners. I want us to think tonight, and as I address the unsaved, I'm also addressing the saved. And what God would have people to see, what we are not to envy, what we should covet, there is a good covetousness. There are things that we should desire that are good for us and things that we should not desire that are very bad for us and their end lead to destruction everlasting destruction everlasting misery I suppose we could divide the congregation in two here this evening and I'm not trying to be divisive simply a statement of fact there are those who fear God and those who do not fear God. My friends, even the devils believe. And they tremble. But they do not have a holy filial fear for God. They tremble at the thought and the, the prospect of hell. But they have no respect for God. They love sin. And sinners love sin. Sinners are born in sin, shapen in iniquity. Now, let me begin by saying, friends, here tonight, whether you like it or not, according to God's word, there is not a single atheist in the whole wide world. And I know that the supposed atheist will not like that statement of fact here this evening. And I'm not making these things up. I bring that simple statement of fact from Romans chapter 1. Where the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, that is even now, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That is, they hold it down. They suppress it. They won't let it, as it were, come up. They won't let it be apparent. They try to suppress. They try to hide the truth. They try to push it in the closet. What does he say? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. God has manifested himself in the hearts of men. He has placed his laws in their heart. For God has showed it unto them. God has showed that he is God. How? Well, he tells us, For the invisible things of him 
that is of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So they know God is, yet they deny God. My friend, every person has been shown that God is. Every person should fear God. As you look at creation, you are unmistakably faced with this fact. There is power. There is omnipotence. There is a God who brought everything into being. Nothing cannot make everything. Nothing cannot make anything that God made. And our mere existence speaks to the fact that there is a God. Even our own personal existence should make you fear God. The fact that you are here, the fact that you can think and talk to other people and that you are a rational creature should make you fear God. When you look at the intelligence of men, that we are not some cosmic freak accident, that we are not living in a world of chaos and confusion, that there is a world of order, that the planets consist and subsist, and there are seasons and days and times. Every man should fear God because, firstly, of creation and because he is made in the image of God and made with a conscience. And of course, we are told in Romans 2.14 that people have consciences and every day people have a conscience that is offended God and they know it in their heart every day when they do wrong. Somebody says, I was wrong. Or they may not confess it, but they know it in their heart. And by that they should fear God. There's not a single atheist in the world, according to all of the Bible. You know, the Bible does not begin, Genesis does not begin with trying to explain God. It simply begins, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible does not begin with saying, there is a God and you should know it. The Bible begins with that assumption that we know there is a God. And we should know it by all things that he has made. And by the fact that we hear and he has written even eternity in our hearts. But man, you see, since the fall, is a liar and a despiser and a hater of God. As one who shuns the truth. Man is born a liar. Every man is born a liar. He lies to himself. <coughs> He lies to others, and he lies to God every day. And yet he still 
does not fear God. What are lies? Lies are really the deceit of the human heart. We say something is this, but it's not. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And it's amazing even we experience this as Christians, even as saved people. We hear people say, Pastor, have you noticed this person's sin, that person's sin? And yet they don't see so much sin in their own heart, but it's there, they know it, but they suppress it themselves. This is the heart of every one of us. Sin is still there. Now to know God is to fear God. There's a basic logic that follows. If you know that God is all-powerful, that he is the sustainer and creator of all things, and that is unmistakable. If you know that, you should fear God. And yet man has and continues to suppress this truth so much that is basically brazen living before God. He lives as if there is no God. He says in his heart, it says there in Proverbs the fool is said in his heart, not his head, his heart, there is no God. If you want to get people's attention in the open air, you can have that track, the TBS maker track. The fool is said in his heart. You quickly get a number of people there railing at this. The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. But that's a truth. We can't deny it. It's a heart problem. It's a heart condition. But as I said, the congregation can be divided even here tonight. If there are saved and unsaved, there are those who fear God and those who don't fear God. Those who fear God know God. Now, I know we know all know God. But have we come, as it were, face to face with God in his word, the God of the Bible? You see, the problem is, it's not that men don't know that there is a God. They just don't want to know this God. They just don't want to know the holy God of the Bible. But my friends, this is the one of the greatest blessings a man can know. The God of the Bible, not a capricious God. Not a God that changes his mind. But the God of the Bible that is holy and saves by his holy Son. That's a God worth knowing. A God that cannot make a mistake. A God that cannot lie. A God that cannot sin. A God that speaks in truth. When the Apostle Paul, he describes the unsaved man, he says this in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before his eyes. And as he considers God, of course he has made many vain thoughts about God. There are a plethora, my friends, you know this, I've said it so many times. There are a plethora of gods that men have made in this world, a god to their liking, a god to their fashion, a god to their, that is like them, a god that will please them, a god that they can please and they can have with their sin and so on. But there are not many that fear the true and living God. Let me say this, an honest heart 
fears God. The first problem is this. Man does not have an honest heart. I said he's a liar. We are all born liars. But an honest heart fears God. We are told, are we not, in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, you cannot know wisdom apart from facing the facts, apart from facing the truth. And the truth of it all is God says we are wicked. The truth of it all, God says we are all liars. We are born in sin, shapen in iniquity. And the new birth is the only thing that brings an honest heart. The new birth, let me say, is the only thing that brings an honest heart. And the very hallmark of the unsaved man is that there is no fear of God before his eyes. Now, there are many, we may say, have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. They deny a God. They don't really fear God in their lives. They have a certain knowledge of God, but they do not fear God. And there are plenty of people like that. Maybe you are a churchgoer, but does that make you fear God? There are many who trample God's commandments underfoot, but it proves they don't love and fear God. You see, to love God is to fear God. To know God is to love him. And to love him, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now creation should say, and it does say, there is a God. And creation should make you fear God. And if you don't fear God right now, it's a sin. Let me tell you that. It's a sin. Now the Bible does say in Ecclesiastes 13, uh, sorry, 3 verse 13 and 14, that God doeth it that men should fear before him. How? By a new heart, as I said. That's what he does. But it is a sin if you don't fear God because you are lying to yourself right now, whether you like it or not. And I could really care what, less what the atheist thinks. I fear God more than the atheist. And I pray it'll always be that way. Because what can the atheist do to me? Kill me? That's about all. Put me to death? But soon that atheist will have a rude awakening in hell. And God will judge him. Now, there are several things I want us to see in this verse. There is a command, first of all, not to envy sinners. And I could apply this. Solomon applied it to his son Rehoboam. Now, in the, in the grand scheme of things, in the ultimate sense, we do not ultimately know about Rehoboam. We cannot speak concerning the state of his soul ultimately. But there is a great question mark over Rehoboam. And he was commanded, was he not? Not to envy sinners. And there is sin, let me say, in envying sinners. Whether you're saved or not, it's a sin to envy sinners. It's a great sin to envy sinners. Why would you envy sinners? Then secondly, 
we say a command to fear God. And I want us to ask, what is it to fear God? And then lastly, the reason for this commandment. So firstly, the command not to envy sinners. Have a look with me, verse 17. Let not thine heart envy sinners. Again, the heart, not the head. Let not thine heart. You see, it's always a heart problem, isn't it? This is my heart's desire, somebody says. Let not thine heart envy sinners. Why would you envy sinners? I could give you a number of reasons why not to envy sinners. When we speak of sinners, what, what do we mean? People who deny God. And yet God is. And they live as if God is not. And they live as if they could sin with impunity. And they will never be judged by the God has put them in this world, by the creator of all things who will judge all men, by Jesus Christ, who so many take his name in vain. Why would you not envy sinners? Well, to envy something is to covet it. If you envy something, there's admiration. Why would you admire somebody who is so foolish to say that there is no God. Why would you admire? There's no intelligence in that. In fact, even scientists today have almost done a complete 180, haven't they? And they're saying, well, there must be a creator because nothing can create everything. Well, there's even more. Envy thou not sinners. Here, Solomon is speaking to his son and he is speaking about sinners. And you look at the earlier part of this chapter, there are foolish sinners. Of course, there are all kinds of sinners in the world. But look at the, the sinner in verse 1. When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. There's a ruler. And the ruler is no fool. Often people get to a station and stature in society because they know how to manipulate. And I'm not saying that all people do well because they're manipulators, but often men are very shrewd. But he says, even when thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. Think very carefully what is before you. Don't just mean the food. But all that is before you, here is a king, a ruler. And put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. Because that ruler knows that your weakness is your stomach. Be not desirous for his dainties. For they are deceitful meat. That man can manipulate you by food and all kinds of things. People have done it. I remember when I worked in employment, we would often get the suppliers come in with bottles of whiskey and all kinds of things to try to bribe you for the coming year, get you the contracts, and maybe. People want to be dishonest. There are all kinds of ways you see the scheming heart of men. 
and how quickly we slip because of the desires of our appetites. He says, be very careful. How weak the human heart is because of even bodily appetites. Put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite, whatever that might be. Not necessarily food, it could be money, it could be all kinds of things, how you can be easily bribed. And then what happens? You become such a person. You learn the tricks of the trade. Labor not to be rich. Labor not to be rich. See, there's wisdom. Sinners in this world, you talk to young people, you ask them, what do you want to do for a living? I want to be rich. I want to be wealthy. I want to be famous. But they're not asking, what is it to be happy? What is it to be content? Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. People think that there is wisdom in being wealthy. Wisdom, as Solomon experienced, can bring great sorrow, my friend. Deep sorrow. Paul, when he writes to young Timothy, he says, Many have pierced their own hearts through the wealth and riches of this world. Envy thou not sinners. Sinners live for the world and for things and for stuff. Don't envy them. And this is where it all begins. It begins with envy. I want what he has. He, she looks happy, but they're not really happy. We were speaking, and I don't like to mention names. All over the news these days, a man who gave himself to all kinds of sexual pleasures and manipulated people, ended up taking his own life. Very wealthy man. Lived an extravagant life. He had, a, had an island for himself. He had a huge house. He had wealthy friends. And he hung himself. Or it's believed maybe somebody even killed him. We don't know. Where is he now? He thought wealth could give him pleasure. Cease from thine own wisdom. Even riches... We're told, look at verse 5, they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. So many people, when they get wealth, they don't know how to use it, and it ruins them. We had a man on our street who won the lottery. Well, over 17 million pounds, I think it was. My, he's made a wreck of his life. Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye. Neither desire thou his dainty meats. The man that has an evil eye. Thou need his meat. Why? Because he's going to manipulate you. Don't envy sinners. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there, my friend. Happiness is not with man. Cease from man. Cease from this world. What are your plans for this year? Don't envy sinners. Don't envy the world. Don't envy anything in the world. Pity the world. Pity it. 
I don't mean look down upon it. But it's sick in its sin. And people are sick in their sin. Just like Zacchaeus was. Only the Lord Jesus could get him out of it. Envy thou not sinners. Paul has to write Colossians 3, 5. And covetousness which is idolatry. People idolize things. And they give their their whole life to, to things that don't last. That fancy car. Big house, it's, it's not going to last. And after a few years, it's going to be old hat. And you see, let me say this, all sins flow out of this one big sin. Not to love God. And not to admire Him, but to envy sinners. My friend, God is the giver of life. And the one who gives a life, and who gives life and meaning and substance, and that's life to love God supremely. And as we read there in Matthew 6, what did he say to his people? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The Lord Jesus said, look at Solomon in all of his glory. He was not even as the flowers of the field. How they were clothed and provided for by God every day. Solomon, he he had to toil and work hard. And even at the end of his life, if you read Ecclesiastes, he was so concerned with whom he is going to leave his wealth with, that brought him even greater sorrow. You write your will. You look at your children. You think, what are they going to do with this? I've worked so hard for all of this. Envy thou not sinners. What a miserable life sinners have in this world. They've worked so hard for their riches and they can't take them with them. We brought nothing into this world and it's sure we can leave with nothing. And the big sin is they've never lived for God and never loved God who gave them life and all things freely to enjoy and who would have given them just what they needed in this life. Just what they needed. Neither poverty nor riches. But the food allotted to them. You see, idolatry really is when we give other things the affection that God deserves. And let me say this, there is nothing, my friends, in this world and nobody in this world that deserves your attention and affection so much as God. He deserves supreme affection. And when we do that, we find a man is blessed. Because God not only gives him contentment, but gives him wisdom. God will not give a man wisdom if all a man wants is wealth and even health and prosperity. God will never give a man wisdom and life. Envy thou, let not thine heart envy sinners. You see that first commandment? Why would you envy something created? Sinners, who can't lead you, who can't guide you, who you can't trust, and things that you have and they have, and things that just don't last. Something that can't even deliver your soul. 
Can your friends deliver your soul? That man who you're striving to get his attention, can he deliver your soul in the end? Can, you, can he really bring you happiness? Why shouldn't we envy sinners? Because what they have is not worth envying at all. What does the world have that makes for a life nothing? It's miserable. We've just passed through this season where it's proven to be the month of highest suicides, marriage breakups, people getting into debt, everybody singing, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree. And underneath that Christmas tree are things people can't afford. Can't give you anything. People idolize the God of plastic surgery, the God of vanity. But these things cannot do anything for you, friend. Ecclesiastes 5.10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. It's true. You seem to get more friends when you get more money. And you wonder really who your friends are. And what good is there to owners thereof, saving the beholder thing at them with their eyes? But we read of this a man. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 9.3, There is an evil among the things that are done under the sun. And there is one event Unto all, yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. Madness. They live in a mad career of sin, envying sinners while they live, and madness is in their heart, and after that they go to the dead. Why would you envy a sinner? He's sick. Are you sick? In that madness of envy, the want of many things, and they cannot satisfy. Solomon had to say, the eye is never satisfied. The ear is never full. All things are full of labor. What will it profit a man after all his labor under the sun? Now something else. Why shouldn't you envy sinners, particularly if you're a Christian? It's a bad witness. If you're a Christian, other people look at you and say, well, is he really a Christian? Look at him. Look at him. He's living for the world. Can he be saved? Does he know Christ? Does he know peace in his heart? You know, the world can see right through a hypocrite. Why would you envy sinners? It's a bad witness. And you, you don't do other Christians any good either. It's a bad witness to them, bad witness to the world. Why, why would you envy sinners? Well, because it destroys the soul. It's another reason. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out 
Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that be rich fall into temptation and at a snare. We're told here, they were not to be rich, verse 4. Because if you envy, you put yourself in a snare, my friend. A terrible snare. Look how Adam and Eve were in the garden. There was envy there, wasn't there? Look, and look at them. Adam, Adam was a supremely intelligent man. He could name all the creatures. He had everything. And Eve. And if they fell, you think you won't fall? If any man thinketh he stand, take heed, lest he fall. But maybe you've fallen. What then? Well, there's a warning. The Lord Jesus said these very simple words, remember Lot's wife. Probably one of the shortest sermons we can think of, just in a small verse, as he alluded to that very incident. Remember her. Consider her fall. Consider her slip. Envy thou not sinners. I know this is beginning on a negative note, but I will get to the positive. You see, the Christian life is not all gloom. It's not gloom at all. But to get to the good, we've got to see the bad first. It is a bad, God-denying world and a materialistic world, a world that loves mammon. But if you love mammon, you can't serve God. You can't. It's impossible. The Lord Jesus said it. This brings us to the second commandment, the fear of God. It's a blessed thing. Uh, so many are so negative on this, but this is a, such a positive thing. The fear of God. My friend, there's health. There's only one thing you should really fear, and that's God. That's the best thing to fear. Now, of course, th th there are several kinds of fears. You might fear fire. That We speak of a natural fear. The flames are hot. You'd be a fool to put your hand in the fire. We speak of that natural fear. And then there is the fear of men, which is folly. Really, we shouldn't fear men. What is man that he can do to me? Man may kill the body. What after that? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But all the saints of old, they passed through this world. They believed that. And now with the Lord. But then there's the fear of God, my friend. It's the beginning of wisdom. That's life. God who is. And who is speaking now through creation and the world. And who has spoken in his word and who cannot lie. Who says, try me now. Test me. God can't lie. You should fear him. Because he is perfect. You read his word from cover to cover. You will not find a fault. You will not find a speckle. You will not find anything wrong with God. 
He's just. He's holy. And he's wise. But here's another thing. There's a fear that he works in the soul by forgiveness. A fear that he works in the soul by forgiveness. If you turn with me to that Psalm 130. I want you to notice, and this is the beginning of wisdom, you cannot fear God apart from mercy. When you see yourself to be as an undone sinner before God, and that you have sinned against light and knowledge and light, the light of heaven, and you see yourself as David saw God before himself, before God, if you do, by the grace of God, you will fear God. Notice Psalm 130. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. Now notice, if thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities. Here, uh, the psalmist, he, he looks at his heart. He looks at the iniquities of men's hearts. Not just men's, but particularly his. Who shall stand? See, what is said before you, friend, and said before me, is the infinite holiness of God. And his inflexible justice. God is not capricious when it comes to his justice. God is holy and just. But how? Can God justify sinners? This was the age-old question. How God, can God make sinners right with him? That's the age-old question. And that's the question throughout the Bible. How could God save lost men and women? Well, have a look. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait on his word. Do I hope? You see, it's in the word of God. God promised that he would give forgiveness. And when Peter preached, he preached forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, because there would be one who would be a substitute for his people. The one who would suffer and who would die in the place of his people and that is the only basis and only grounds that God can forgive a guilty, hell-deserving sinner. And when such a person knows that forgiveness, there's a real wonderful fear. How can I ever offend a God that has been so gracious in giving his dear son for me to die for my sins? In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. A person does not want to offend God. But you see, the person that is forgiven has asked for forgiveness. The person that is forgiven has repented of their sins. That person that has been forgiven has been convicted of their sin. And they see this world to be worthless, empty. They've lived for this world. And they see that this world cannot really bring happiness. 
The answer to your problem, my friend, is not money. If you're destitute, you have a greater need. Your never-dying soul is bankrupt before God. And the sinner that is saved sees that. And thanks God for anything that God should ever give him. And he trusts that whatever he has in his life now is just what he or she needs. You see, my God, the God of the Bible, knows the need of every single one of his people so that they find contentment in him. David said, I've been young, but I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous begging bread. For some people, it would be a disaster, even if they are Christians, to have a wad of money. Be the biggest disaster for them. And God knows just how much to give them. Because he knows the weakness of every one of his sheep's hearts. Doesn't he? The answer is God. And when you find mercy with him and forgiveness, you start to really fear him and to respect him. And to say, Lord, if this is all I've got this week to live on, so be it. But blessed be God, I have forgiveness of sins. And I have peace with my God. And he is giving me exactly what I need and no more, no less in my life. And the word comes, envy thou not sinners to the saved man. But you keep being in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Because you saw what riches did to you before. You blew it all. And on the wrong things. And on the wrong kind of lifestyle. How you live for the world. Do you really want that? You don't want that. Now it's not wrong to have things. But you see if a man cannot contain himself. God knows. And God puts in a man's hand just what he needs every day. That's why the Lord Jesus says there in Matthew chapter 6, Worry not on the morrow, he says to his people. Do not be concerned. He's not saying don't go and work. He's not saying don't go and labor. He's saying, but don't be anxious. Seek first the kingdom of God every day. Every day, that's all you've got to do. Seek God's will, and all these things shall be provided for you. And you see, you're happy then. Envy thou not sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord. What is it to fear God? It's to respect him, it's to trust him. It's to honor him in your life. Surely that is... A life where there's no shame. We're told, they that wait on him shall never be content, shall never be ashamed. He'll never disappoint those who truly put their trust in him. Don't envy sinners. 
but hold God in such a high regard. Understand that he knows your every need. And your greatest need right now, if you're unsaved, is mercy. And out of mercy comes the fear of the Lord. There's mercy with the Lord that he may be feared. But then lastly, we must close with this. Be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. And notice, because there's a promise for thine end, thine expectation shall not be cut off. It's a better world, my friend. The same man goes to the end. This world's coming to an end. We're told God is going to roll back the heavens as a garment. And he'll make a better world. A glorious world. You know him. You love him. Don't ever envy a single lost person in this world. I don't care who he is, who she is. You don't look down on them. Just don't envy them. But you know who you should envy? The righteous. In a good way. And you know, if you do, we're told to covet the best gifts. Those gifts of love, joy, peace. That's the kingdom of God. Do you know that? If you don't know that, you're not living a life, my friend. Money is not going to sort your problems out. Nothing will. Only God. Don't envy the world. Don't envy sinners. But be in the fear of the Lord, for there is an end. And thine expectations shall not be cut off. Amen.